So the Hollywell incident, it happened literally just around the corner from me, about 10 miles in that direction. It's an interesting and fascinating story that appears to still elicit the same kind of confusion and mystery that it did then and does today. So let's get down to some brass tacks and real facts. I went and found the actual original report. It took me a little while to get hold of this, but we got it. This is the official government council report. Um, I've been told by the person who gave it to me, it is the only copy there is. So, perhaps really we should start at the bare beginnings. Nottinghamshire, like many regions, has a rich mining heritage. Each of the mining communities centred around a pit where there's a wealth of families who are involved in the matters and the operations of the miners' welfare network. With the father typically underground, digging at the coalface, the children and the families were eager to pursue and develop their own interests. And one such interest was the performance, the baton, the brass bands, the kazoo bands, the group demonstrations, the jazzy bands as they came to be known. Choreographers engaged and drilled in friendly competitions and large show events where they would strut their latest performances. Barely a three mile radius of my vicinity, there's, there was more than half a dozen popular and well-attended groups in the 70s and 80s. Some of those members offered insights to me of the events of the day that transpired. As one of their larger annual events, groups came from far afield arranged by the Forest League of the Juvenile Jazz Bands, and their destination that day on the 13th of July 1980 was the mining town of Kirkby and Ashfield on the border of the city of Nottingham and Mansfield. Now under the summer sky that day, I say overcast too, the 13th of July, the annual event at the Hollywell Showground made national news, not for the prestige of batons and stunning performances of the many in attendance, Many instead were overcome with an affliction resulting in which hundreds of children collapsed, adults were affected. Further mentions also indicate that animals were affected, there was a large number of ailments being reported including fainting, nausea, sore throats, trembling, weakness, numbness, and many reports of blisters being formed upon the skin, there's even a report of metallic tastes being in the mouth. St John's ambulance were in attendance that day and were quickly and rapidly overwhelmed. A policeman is quoted as saying, it was like a battlefield with bodies everywhere. Bob Rickard of the Fortean Times kept a very detailed account and clippings of the evolving story at the time in 1980, and that formed the structure of a chapter that is featured in the book The British Cases and the History of Mass Hysteria and Social Panics in School, authored by Dr. Bob Bartholomew and by Bob Rickard. Now, prior to that publication in September 2010, a feature was also published in the 14 Times, issue 266, entitled The Hollywell Incident. This was also replicated online, however, in time that has now been depreciated, uh, but with the use of the Wayback Web machine, it is possible to view this article in full. It examined the, how the mysterious collapse of 300 children, young musicians, and a rural English fate became the most controversial example of mass hysteria. Bob's feature remains one of the best concise series of accounts, and I would encourage you to go and have a look at that, and the sources will be in the show notes. We will quote from Bob's feature, coupled with some further interviews and comments from witnesses, and some more details that have come through since. 
So I'll inject here. I'll inject to say that through conversation and correspondence with the with Asheville District Council and the Inspire Libraries, I have been granted permission to be loaned the official investigation file entitled The Hollingwell Incident. This was published in 1980, and I have been granted permission to be loaned this. I was told that this is the one and only copy, and uh, so I have to be careful not to spill any coffee upon it. What's interesting about this, the fact that the uh, it's been taken out of the library a few times. Um, 21st of March 2003, which ties into a, another documentary investigation into this very unusual, mysterious case. But anyway, so with the promise that I'm not going to spill any coffee upon it, I've been able to read through and examine and uh, some of the details that happened at the time and uh, what the officials were going through as a process and their understanding of the environment that the children had faced. With the aim of understanding and obtaining information and insight, examining the details that the professionals had to look at at the time, and ask the question, is why ultimately were people so annoyed at the conclusion? Coupled with this, in a conversation with regional newspaper photographer Neil Lancashire on the 10th of January 2022, who was in attendance and captured those very sites, that confusion, that chaos, Neil explained to me that he saw the setting of the children. Many had been on site from very, very early in the morning. Coaches were arriving from across the country. He was manning an information stand where he was promoting his photography business, and he noticed that the only water that was available was from a, uh, a tap hose. Groups, he re recalled, were being drilled. A Jim Carner was also present. That was at a different part of the field. At 10.30am, the children started to faint. Terry Bingham is possibly the most press-quoted individual who was very vocal about um, his observations on the day. Terry was secretary to the Zingaris band from Clay Cross. We are ready for the display when one or two children collapsed. There went a few more and a few more. We started to call the events off, but others fell as they came out of the arena. Then spectators started dropping. Terry Bingham remembers they fell down like nine pins. We don't know what was happening. Some kids were capturing their friends as they fell, and others were falling down themselves, and no one could understand what was happening. Petula Merriman, 14, says to the Sunday Times, We were on a field in full uniform for an inspection. I never had to stand to attention for that long before. As we were marched off, I tried to grab hold of the drum, but it fell to the floor. My friends were collapsing all around me. Another of the afflicted, Kelly Elliott, aged 10, I went all week and had pains in my stomach and then I fainted. Everyone was falling down. Some were crying. My stomach was tight and aching. I felt better when I came round in hospital. Kerry's seven-year-old brother, Stephen, was similarly affected. Enid Holmes, secretary of the Cresswell Craiglanders, noted that she had noticed some bands had reported having water-filled blisters that the locals called blebs on children's skin. Two babies, only a matter of weeks old, also had these bleb-like blisters um, on the infant that was noticed during a nappy change. Margaret Palethorpe, a 37-year-old mother of five children, three of whom were amongst the collapsed. She felt pins and needles in her tongue and lips. I collapsed and lost the use of one arm. Linda Elliott, mother of Kerry and Stephen, felt strange as she comforted her children on the way to hospital, where she too then collapsed. My arms and legs were like sponges. It felt like there was cramp in my stomach, and that's all I remembered until I came round. Miss Edna Wells, chairman of one of the bands, the Ashfield Imperials, said she tried to keep the children talking 
I was trying to help them, but then I was taken ill too. Neil confirms there was an announcement not to drink the tap water. Lead drummer Susan Rook, then aged 13, uh, of Crabtree Farm, says my arms and legs felt as if they had no bones in them and I had a really bad headache. They were ferried by dozens of ambulances to four hospitals where 255 children were examined and nine were detained overnight. They were collapsing all about, Neil said. There was a woman carrying child in her arms. There was no mobile phones at the time. The nearest phone box wasn't even close. Dawn Kerwood commented to me, I was only 12 years old and everyone was passing out. I only remember my parents panicking when I got home as they didn't drive. We got drove there by the band bus. Lisa Richardson said to me, me and my sister were in the Tartiers. Uh, I remember girls collapsing. I was very young. They were just fainting all around me. It really scared me. And Lisa remarked how she didn't return to doing events afterwards. Neil said there was another call that was tannoyed out not to eat the ice cream from the vans. More fainted. Another call went out, don't touch the field, it's been sprayed. And then they all fell down. And we're going to come back to Neil's first-hand comments shortly. Now, once emergency services were involved and were arriving, coordinating uh, those affected to four local hospitals. So, as it turns out, at the time, as the statements were saying, 259 children were admitted, 9 were held overnight, 15 adults, 2 babies, horses and dogs were affected. Allegedly put down. But more on that soon. So what happened? What happened is strangely still up for debate. Here we are, 40 years later, the mystery still endures. But is it a mystery? Because we actually have an answer. And we have a subsequent answer that tells us more. Is the mystery still there, or is it in fact something quite more mundane? Take the, take the mystery out of the mystery, and you're left with something quite human. So what happened to those people is strangely still up for debate, and here we are talking about it some 40 years on. So what were the findings of this investigation? Was the water contaminated? Was there food poisoning? Was it high-frequency communication towers, government covert testing, UFOs, or was there gas leaking from an underground mine? So all these came up as theories that were followed through and investigated as theories. By the next day, word had gotten around, and the, uh, the press were all over the story. So let's just take a, a quick look at what the press was saying in and around that time about the Hollywell incident. Daily Mail. Poison cloud riddle of 305 sick children. The Sun. Poison cloud chaos. 288 children. The Mirror. Carnival hunt for chaos clues. The Daily Star. Panic KOs gala kids. Multiple headlines over the following days straight up saying the phrase cover up. The Daily Mirror. 16th of July. Carnival cover up fury. Guardian, The Guardian, 17th of July, Children's Collapse, Cover-Up Claim, Daily Star from the same day, Row Over Chaos Carnival Cover-Up. And this is still kind of an odd conversation in the community. People don't want to talk about it as much, and I, I had a personal conversation about that. He commented prior, Terry Bingham reported to the Western Mail. He claimed that he opened his medical release letter given to him by the hospital to pass to his GP. And he commented that the reason why he was admitted was the inhalation of organic poison. As the official line of inquiry continued, the farmer who owned the adjacent fields confirmed the fields had not been sprayed in more than a decade. 
These surrounding locations of the Nottinghamshire Golf Club, the Forestry Commission and the other farms provided information that none had indeed been in use. Looking for another reason, the plastic factory was highlighted due to a fire near the location and the media frenzy speculating, pressurising the officials looking for an answer themselves. Um, because I wrote that paragraph above before, I got hold of this. So it's really interesting to see what they were actually saying, their lines of inquiry, and how serious they were taken. So numbers-wise first, let's get on the numbers, because if you go looking online about this, or you look at those news reports, they are all over the place. The press just love to exaggerate numbers. Press reports at the time are all over the place. So, in here, Monday, 14th of July, the names, addresses, and patients recorded were released. The Environmental Health Authority uh, were informed that 255 patients were recorded attending four hospitals. The hospitals estimated they had actually seen over 400 people, but because of the pressure of all those attending, they were not all recorded. Blood and urine samples were taken of those patients who were taken in. The EHO visited uh, 224 of those families uh, in subsequent days. 193 of those 255 were children. 37 were male, 187 were female, and the majority of those females were aged 11 to 15. Quoting from pages 5 and 6, various people maintained that policemen and firemen were admitted to hospital with these complaints also. It is also said that horses and dogs were afflicted and had to be put down. To clarify, one policewoman did go to hospital, but her condition was in no way associated to the incident. Two babies were also admitted, they were both premature, and they were taken purely as a matter of precaution. Now, July the 20th, the Sunday Times reported that five horses had become ill and one had to be destroyed. In the statement uh, by Chief Inspector Ogden that is in this document here, no dogs were in any way affected. This was confirmed by the police authority, and no horses were affected. A press statement that went out on the 16th of July and another on the 23rd and I'll summarise because they each highlight the theories. Food poisoning. Food poisoning. The symptoms and the time involved do not indicate food poisoning. In fact, a majority bought their own packed lunch. The fire at the plastics factory in Bullwell, my neck of the woods, 10 miles away from the location. This occurred on the Saturday and fire services found no supporting evidence for this, and the wind was blowing in the wrong direction. Water supplies. Samples were taken for chemical and bacteriological testing. Uh, samples were negative. Indeed, the chemical breakdowns are included. Pesticide sprays. Pesticide sprays, from questioning by police to the Health and Safety, Health and Safety Executive Agriculture Inspectorate, found no evidence of spraying in the immediate area. Contamination by local chemical additives, fungicides, homicides were all eliminated. Samples from soil and vegetation, chemical tests, or the blood and urine of the patients at the hospitals also proved negative. Although a note through clinicians dealing with patients, a proportion slowed a slight evidence of toxic inhalation. This is quite likely Terry Bingham's reference from earlier. There was a phone call into the police that they should look into high-frequency radio wave towers. 
So they did indeed start looking for high frequency radio towers and they found one, only a hundred yards away. The aerial was actually used by the East Midlands Gas Board and the RAC. The power levels were found however to be so low and well below the maximum permitted level even when standing at a few, within a few feet of the aerial. And portaloos. Portaloos were a frequent complaint and much as they are today. There was 800 people plus at the, uh, at the event and only eight lose. So you can only imagine there might have been a rather interesting smell. So there, there's a, in the breakdown on here, there was a, there was a zealous overuse of J's fluid and bleach that contributed to a chemical smell smelt by many users. And I do love this statement here. Numerous other theories have been advanced by the public and the press, from low frequency noise transmission to extraterrestrial visitation. A mystery, of course aliens. They've been considered to be found without substance. This day, this came after the Daily Telegraph on the 15th of July that police were following a line of inquiry that a UFO, an unidentified flying object, landed in an adjacent field. The landing was never verified. It is something to note that where this claim was derived, little did they know just seven years and four months later the Thunderbolt incident would occur in the very same territory. Now, there were suggestions of seepage from a nearby test borehole. This was found to be fully capped and not the source. There was toxic waste was also put forward as a suggestion. Um, there was a theory of a nearby underground railway tunnel, about half a mile from the location, that was being opened up and was being filled with poisonous waste. A bold phrase was then left as a reply. This was found to be entirely without substance, in fact. Exhaust fumes from cars was put forward as a, as a potential theory. It was a conclusion that there was no continuing environmental health hazard precedent. So there really was a, there really was a systemic investigation of what could cause this kind of occurrence. A 15-point conclusion uh, was published on the 22nd by the Environmental Health and Control Authority. They met with the Department of the Environment in London and no further lines of inquiry were outlined or considered concluding that no environmental health hazard was no longer present. A very full and frank discussion then took place with the press and the TV reporters and the public at the time, regional councillors, chairman of the Environmental Health and Control Committee, directors of the Environmental Health, two senior police officers, a, a community doctor, and the chief medical officer, chief biochemist, the registrar for the Accident and Emergency Medicine at Queen's Medical Centre, the Agriculture Safety Inspector and the Health and Safety Executive, all met. And no, that was the conclusion. That was, this is what we've got. This is our inquiry. This is all the answers that are on the table here. Can we find an answer? Now, included in Appendix 4 in here, E. Fogden and Son are mentioned as having admitted 10 days after the event, after the initial findings and queries went out and press events were conducted, that four weeks prior to the event, the surrounding area was treated with dicamper, MCPA, Mercocop, and Tridomorph as the report of chemical analysis, with a sign-off, in my opinion, the spraying of the field at the distance and the time for these preparations was not likely to have had any, any significant effect of the persons assembled at the Jazz Band Festival. In the conversation with Neil, he was very clear on his perspective, Exhaustion, dehydration, mental toll. There's a dedicated page in this report um, 
to this fact too. Many of the children and onlookers complained that of the heat and the long periods of standing to attention whilst being marked and tested by ex-army personnel. The children were wearing tight uniforms. Some children wore heavy sashes, complete with medals, um, showing success from previous events. The organisers have stated that they expected a proportion of the children to faint at such events. The long periods of standing, the heat, the excitement, the type of clothing, the, the tight-fitting hats that they had to wear, made of foam and very warm fur, with no air ventilation. It must be also remembered, of course, that the children did not collapse together. It was five or six at a time over the course of three hours. In all, the ambulances took 65 people to hospital, and most of them recovered very quickly and were able to return home. Following the day, there were a number of surrounding events, still following the typical bat and jazzy band um, get-together and meetings. People were still continuing to fall down, or being hospitalised with Hollingwell-like symptoms. There is a comment from 2018 on a Reddit thread entitled The Hollywell Incident from a user I can, whose name I cannot even pronounce, I'm not going to. But it says, I've been, I've been to plenty of marching band competitions in the middle of July, and this kind of thing is not uncommon. Headaches, sore throat, eyes, limbs feeling like jello, and fainting because of weakness. There's also a reply. I thought the same. I was in a marching band for five years, and whenever we had a parade, the drum majors would constantly remind us not to lock our knees, because we're going to be standing still, and it, if we did so, it would cut off the circulation and cause us to faint. And there were certainly a couple of kids who didn't listen and fainted. Both of these have many um, upvotes. So the theory could not have been dismissed in 2080. Was it tiredness? Were they just exhausted? So here we are with parents and the public demanding answers. What happened to the children? The emotive drive to protect the most vulnerable that we have to be given closure to an experience that they all endured. The British Psychological Society spokesman Dr John Nicholson and Dr William Thomas uh, in the Daily Telegraph seem to provide an agreed answer in their respective op pieces. And the emphasis and answer of mass hysteria. A statement read out at the press briefing Chief Inspector Ogden concluded, that is included in here, a large number of small children had been parading and standing to attention for some time. They would have been under undue pressure due to the occasion. He too concluded that hysterics spread after the first two had toppled over. The republication of the report entitled The Hollywood Incident was commissioned by the District Council. So Appendix 5. Appendix 5 in the document here. Um, it includes information and documents sent to them by Dr. John Slay, and in it includes a well, basically reports of previous occurrences of similar incidents. Uh, medical, Chief Medical Officer, epidemiological notes, infection hysteria at a mixed comprehensive school. Um, Dr. John Slay here, uh, he reports a rather interesting account how um, 172 children were taken to hospital in. Halserig in Newcastle have followed much the same uh, pattern as Hollywell, where 172 children were taken in with nausea, stomach cramps, uh, dizziness, and headaches. Uh, 82 of those, 82% of those, sorry, um, were aged 8 to 14. Original investigations investigated food poisoning, chemical uh, environment, the temperature, and the answer to that was mass hysteria. The um, Dr. John Slay 
he posted details here of an account from 1965 uh, where he followed an investigation at a comprehensive school. So what's included in the report is that, they, that a child felt sick, she felt ill, she was assisted by friends, and then by proxy, other people then started to experience and exhibit the same condition. Uh, they were then gathered by others in an assembly, another felt faint, uh, they went outside, the head of year went to check the respective girls to find that they had also then passed that, um, that to other people. Um, and the number of people were feeling fate increased. They were suffering shivering, there was collapse, there was dizzying, there was crying, there was stertorous breathing. And as they were tended to by other females and female members of staff through empathising, well, they also started to experience a similar haze. Girls were instructed to go outside by the school nurse, by which time they all felt the same way. Uh, the number now increased to more than 30. And as the girls were told, it's okay, it's over, um, and were encouraged to go back inside as they separated, the symptoms dissipated. And there was uh, four more cases that were indeed highlighted in here. And as the press put out on the 16th of July, tests indicate the cause was nothing more than mass hysteria. And so this is where the story of the cover-up comes in, I think. And uh, it's that, it's kind of, they feel short-changed. They want a definitive answer. Something must have happened to these children. Something must have happened. Uh, regional MP Dennis Skinner, one of three MPs who were calling for a government inquiry, stated that the mass hysteria verdict was an insult to the intelligence and another cover-up by the establishment. Arthur Peacock of the Mansfield Ecology Party uncovered a public scandal here. Everyone in the Ashfield Council can see this is ludicrous to put the blame on mass hysteria. So what happened here is the locals shared with me that they never felt they were fully informed. One person told me it was a painful time in their life. It was a chapter of their life that they have now closed and have moved on. A, in the Reddit thread, there is mention of birth defects. Now, I cannot confirm this. I've reached out to that poster who uh, comments that they were local to the story. I've not heard back from them at the time of this video being created. So, also, was a mass allergic reaction suffered by the victims? Those blebs that appeared on people's skin. Uh, this is not mentioned uh, in this report, as ever been considered in the invest official investigation. So, then the matter stopped. It went away. 23 years later, though, however, a revisit came. Investigative Journalism 2003 was still to be found at the BBC. A documentary for the series Inside Out, which, again, according to the inside of, inside here, um, this was taken out in May 2003, and may indeed have been the time that they read this document to help produce this documentary. The um, It brought back the topic, and the, the first kind of speaker was Terry Bingham. Uh, we knew something was wrong when the children started to faint and drop. We don't think it was mass hysteria that caused it. I still think it's insecticides. Now, Steve Mitchell, an ambulance worker who responded to the emergency call attended another day, commented in the documentary, there are lots of young people who were distressed. Their eyes were sore and had severe breathing difficulties. There was a smell in the air. With the band marching up and down, perhaps they were dispersing the chemical into the air. I'm sure it was inhaled by the young children. Now, Hazel T, who I spoke to just yesterday, um, the same weekend of, as the Hollingwell incident, I collapsed in my uncle's garden in Kirkby and Ashfield close by. His street was next to the field. I couldn't breathe and they had to get an emergency doctor to come out to see whatever uh, was up with me. 
It's left me asthmatic, and for a few years afterwards, my breathing was really bad. On the BBC article, it writes there that the investigation in 1980 reveals a pesticide called Calexin, which contains Tridomorph. These were sprayed on fields in the area in the week leading up to the event, but it was not considered to be harmful at the time. So in the report, that again, that I'm holding here, it doesn't mention Calexin at all. But it does state that four weeks um, before, but not on the same field, um, was the Tridomorph chemical use, which is here there we are so and here it mentions four chemicals that were used um so and trying to morph being one of them but it doesn't mention collection so i don't know where that's come from so trying to morph was the focus of the inside out documentary trying to morph which the government only banned in 2000 was a potential reason. Tridomorph was discovered to be a harmful substance described by the World Health Organization as moderately hazardous. However, investigations that took place 20 years earlier, um, the results disagree with the official findings. The official inquiry did reveal the use of pesticides that contained Tridomorph, but it wasn't considered to be dangerous at the time. Now, Professor David Ray, who was a, at the School of Biome Biomedical Medicine, and science at the Nottingham University said that mass hysteria could have been triggered by the smell of tridomorph. It gives skin and eye irritation. Tridomorph is applied on many crops around the world, but little data on the usage and production is in the public domain. In high doses, it, do it is known to have tartanergenic effects. So from the BBC Inside Out article, uh, residue from the BBC Inside Out article, residue of the chemical could have been kicked up into the atmosphere by the marching children, causing a noxious smell that triggered the general panic. In fact, a member from the Bullwell Juvenile Jazz Band who was taking part said that there was a bleachy smell. The programme makers said that the pesticide was sprayed on crops in nearby fields just days before the event, which is at odds with the official inquiry. So you can see where there is confusion. Also, the BBC Inside Out website uh, found on the Wayback Web Machine, a number of user comments are listed. Um, speaking out, one here, uh, Kerry Louise Randall. Uh, I attended the Hollingwell Gala as a member of a band. Uh, they said it was mass hysteria, so why did it affect the babies and the adults as well as the children? Surely they would not have been susceptible to this, especially the babies. It'll be interesting to see if one day, um, if anyone involved had continued to have problems in later life health-wise, and of course we have just heard from that lady Hazel who has. Well, the babies were taken in, weren't suffering with the exposure to mass hysteria, they were taken in as a precaution due to the official data on here, and one of those children had blisters, those blebs on them. Our original author, David Haslam, um, I appeared on that TV program broadcast on the Hollywell incident, as it is featured in my recent book, Nottinghamshire Murders and Mysteries. What is significant about this incident is the reliability of expert witnesses. Experts test for what they know. If the facts don't fit, then they can just be explained away, i.e. here, mass hysteria. If pesticides were the use, then how can medical tests on victims show this? Why didn't they? The If medical science couldn't find a cause, then what's the long-term damage to those involved now? And the long-term damage actually was my initial thought for getting involved in finding out a bit more about this case. Factoring the structure of my questions for those people I approached. What happened to Amster? 
What happened after? Did the event still continue? What was the health effects that people had? What was the long-term health challenges that people have experienced? Now, I reached out to 20 individuals who's, who are named in the public domains of, uh, of who are about and are around the Hollywell incident. And some of those comments, of course, I've encapsulated into this article. Hazel T. Personally, I believe that the cause of all those people to collapse uh, is that down to that since-banned pesticide but for the government to say it was mass hysteria is unacceptable. It would be interesting to see if other people have been diagnosed with asthma afterwards and have struggled to breathe if they've come in contact with fumes, like I do. The official inquiry ruled that mass hysteria was the likely cause, with the symptoms experienced by the children demonstrating the characteristics of such an outbreak. People present at the events were adamant that the symptoms were real and not the result of imagination or hysteria. They also expressed frustration at never having received a satisfactory explanation. The council has no plans to revisit the incident or reopen an inquiry. So here we are, that is the Hollywell incident. So I'd love to hear your thoughts, your feelings, your theories, your ideas. Post them in the comments box below. Come and drop me a message, drop me an email and uh, we'll happily engage in conversation. Until next time, this is Christian Lander. Signing off, now Curious World.